The truth is, at some point in life, we will, all of us, find ourselves in the same place as those two women did in the Old Testament lesson and in the Gospel lesson today, grappling with the reality of death when a loved one is taken from us. And sometimes we are prepared for this, sometimes we are even expecting it from a long and lingering illness, other times not. It is very unexpected. Many of you know firsthand what this looks like, what it feels like as you yourself have walked that very difficult journey through grief and heartache. In both Old Testament and Gospel lessons for today, it is widows who have now lost their sons. And having lost their husbands already, now they've lost their sons as well, both having died far too young and, and prematurely. But in both instances, there is life from death. God intervenes in both instances powerfully to restore both of these people to life. First through the prophet Elijah in that Old Testament lesson, and then through the Lord Jesus himself in the Gospel lesson. The good news of resurrection and new life is not limited to just Easter Sunday or even the Easter season. Every morning is Easter morning from now on through Jesus, because we worship and serve a living Lord Jesus Christ who has brought life and immortality to life. And so the message for this day, based on that gospel account of Jesus raising the son of the widow of Nain, is entitled Life from Death. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. So the Gospel lesson begins in kind of a curious way. I don't know if you caught that. First couple of words. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Soon after what, you may ask? Well, that takes us to what the Gospel lesson was last Sunday. The story of how Jesus cured the centurion's servant from an illness so severe that his life was in danger. So without even speaking a word of healing at all, that servant was healed. And Jesus' authority over illness and disease was revealed. Now, it's not just illness, but death itself that challenges Jesus. Will his authority extend even this far? The setting for all of this takes place at the city gate of Nain. It's a little town. You can find it on a map in uh, your Bibles. About 25 miles southwest of Capernaum, where Jesus healed the centurion's servant. And two very different processions meet up there at the city gate. One going out of the city, focused on death. One coming into the city, focused 
on life. The one procession carried out the body of the widow's son for burial. And we're told a considerable crowd from the town was with her. They were there to share in her loss. They were there, as we often are in our own lives, to pay their respects. But then what? What happens when it's all over? People go back home again. Things get quiet. Life goes back to normal. Then what? Well, in reality, that widow was now left destitute because there was no one to support her financially. In the biblical world, it was not unheard of for widows literally to starve to death. So the next funeral in Nain might be that of the widow herself. So this grief-stricken procession of mourners is met by the incoming procession led by the Lord Jesus. And we are told a great crowd went with him. And the two crowds then meet one another there at the city gate. And rather than stand politely aside to allow this funeral procession to pass by, Jesus goes up directly to the widow and to her deceased son. And we are told Jesus had compassion on her. Literally, his heart went out to her. And he said to her, do not weep. And then, then he did something extraordinary, which we don't really get in our own day and age, but it was extraordinary for the time. He went over and he touched the bier, the open coffin containing the body of the young man in which he was laid. And in so doing, Jesus rendered himself ritually unclean. Because the law of Moses commanded, or rather forbid, God's people from coming into contact with a dead body. Jesus did all of this deliberately, by design, intentionally, as only the Son of God can do. And now while mere humans may be contaminated by all this, Jesus, who is true God and true man, willingly took upon himself the contamination of our sin, which leads to death. Dying the death we rightly deserved on the tree of the cross, because of our sin, Jesus consumed death itself, if you will, Jesus was the original death eater long before there was Harry Potter. And as such, Jesus fulfilled the words of the prophet Isaiah who said he will swallow up death forever. Only the one who has power over death can command it and it must obey. And it did obey. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. There is life from death. 
Now, some may say, hmm, well, that was 2,000 years ago. People didn't know then what we know now. They didn't have the technology, the science, the education that we have today. This young man, he wasn't dead. He was in some kind of sleep or trance or something. I don't believe that for a moment. And I hope you do not either. The people of Jesus' day, you see, were far more familiar with death on a daily basis than we are today. It was not isolated and removed from daily life as we are prone to do today. They knew it when they saw it. And the outcome here from all that Jesus had done? Well, how would you respond if a dead man sat up and started talking? We would freak out. That's what we do. That is how we would react. And that's pretty much what happened here. Great fear seized them all, we're told. But that's not all they did. And they glorified God, we're told. Did they conclude then, at long last, God had sent his promised anointed one, the Messiah. This is the one who can raise the dead and give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and cleanse lepers and make the lame to walk. The Messiah is here. Is that what they said? Nope. A great prophet had visited and through him God had come to his people, a great prophet like Elijah of old, who raised the son of the widow of Zarephath. That's what we heard in the Old Testament lesson. That's what they thought. But here's the difference. As Robert Farrar wrote in his book, Life of Christ, the greatest of the prophets like Elijah had restored to lonely women their dead only sons, but they had done it with agonies and energies of supplication, wrestling in prayer, lying outstretched upon the dead, whereas Jesus had wrought that miracle calmly incidentally, instantaneously, in his own name, by his own authority, with a single word. Only Jesus can bring life from death. As he said to the widow's son, so he will say to all who trust in him today, all who have been baptized into his death and resurrection, where in that cleansing water of holy baptism, we have already been raised to new life. He will say, young man, young woman, son, daughter, my beloved child, I say to you, arise, and we will. And that will be our own Easter. You know, in truth, all along life's way, there are little deaths and lesser funerals before we ever actually die. We experience sickness and pain, sometimes greater, sometimes lesser in severity. We know disappointment, loss, grief and heartache. We find out that we have limitations 
that the world does not revolve around us, and that we are not immortal. And if we are wise, we will take these to heart and learn from them. You see, all of these are dress rehearsals for our final breath. And so with the psalmist, which we read together, we pray, Lord, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth. You've clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It's only in Jesus who died and who now lives and reigns to all eternity that we know death is not the final word. It is only in Jesus that there can be life from death. My friends, this is the saving truth. This is the hope we hold out to the world around us. So as we join Jesus on his mission in daily life, we become aware of the needs of the people around us, people whom God has placed into our lives. And in all likelihood, one of the needs will be helping those who are struggling with the death of a loved one, a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, a family member. And this situation could well be the living out of that fourth mission practice from joining Jesus on his mission. What good can we do around here? We prayed about this actually in the prayer of the day. O Lord, grant that we may rejoice in your gracious presence and continually be given to good works. What good can we do around here? In these situations, when there's been a loss of a loved one, we are in a very unique position to do good by blessing those who are grieving, even as Jesus blessed the widow of Nain by raising her son. We're not Jesus. We don't have the power within us to raise the dead, but the good we can do is to point them to Jesus who loves them, who gave his life for them, who alone can bring life from death. Amen.